2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. It's the miracle of Christmas. And as we ponder that for just a moment here this morning, I think it, it gives more power to that verse to understand the context of that passage that we find that in. Because that passage is not speaking specifically about the birth of Jesus. It's not speaking specifically about why Jesus came to this world. But in fact, the context there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, is about sacrificial giving. It's about giving of your finances. It's about giving money. Okay? And it refers to uh, the example of the Macedonian churches. A group of churches, a group of people who were very poor. They had very little. And yet the Apostle Paul was saying... I want you to be challenged by these dear Macedonian believers. They gave until they hurt. You would think, well, they were already hurting. Yeah, but they gave anyway. And in fact, there was a financial need, and they begged to give. They said, please, let us give. It's as if maybe some of them were saying, you shouldn't have to give because you don't have that much. And they're like, let us give, please, let us give. We want to give. And so then the Apostle Paul goes on to say, dear people, you are doing well in this grace, and you are doing well in this grace, and you are doing well in this, and we're seeing Jesus in you in these different ways, but you need to grow in the grace of giving. You need to grow in this thing of sacrificial giving. Think of their example. And then he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. You see? <laughs> what an example. What an example. And so the Apostle Paul says at another place, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, the gift of Jesus Christ. You know, the night that God moved into this world ranks as one of the greatest moments in human history. It was a night of tremendous miracles and blessings. It was the night that, yes, God moved into this world to live, but then eventually to die. And although the Christmas story is over 2,000 years old, yet I trust that we can find some, some new freshness in it this morning as we look at part of it at least. I invite you to Luke chapter 2. For a text, we would like to look at verses 8 through 16. And I've entitled this, The Angelic Announcement. The Angelic Announcement. It was an 
awesome announcement of arrival. Now, in some of our lessons this morning in Sunday school, we had an announcement of anticipation <laughs> where, where the, the angel was, was telling what would happen. It was an announcement of anticipation. And here this morning in our text for the message, we would like to consider this announcement of arrival. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. We'll stop there. An awesome announcement of arrival. Now let's consider the setting here. We find this in verses 8 and 9. This story takes place at night on the hills outside of Bethlehem. Now, the region surrounding Bethlehem uh, was long associated with raising sheep, with shepherding. Uh, it was a place of much pasture which made it very appropriate for grazing. And in fact, you would know that, that David tended his father's sheep there in the hills around Bethlehem. David's father was Jesse. And actually, David was called while he was out tending his father's sheep. Now, most likely, these were not just ordinary sheep. But these were probably temple sheep. And what I mean by that is because of the proximity that Bethlehem was to Jerusalem, which even though it was maybe 70 miles, it was a lot closer than some areas, because of the proximity, the sheep that were being raised around Bethlehem were largely used for temple sacrifices. And they needed many for that. In fact, for the Passover alone, there was 250,000 sheep needed annually just for the Passover alone. And then, obviously, there, was, there were uh, other sacrifices to make throughout the year. But think of the, the enormous amount of sheep that had to be raised, that had to be cared for. Of course, they were to provide sheep that were healthy, sheep that were without blemish. Those were the sheep that were to be sacrificed. 
And so that was the responsibility of these shepherds. Raising these sheep, caring for these sheep that would be offered as a sacrifice for the atonement of sin. So God chose to deliver this awesome announcement to shepherds. To simple men with simple lives. To hillbillies, <laughs> we could say. Maybe that speaks to some of you. God chose to honor them in a special way. <laughs> and although these men lived a, a lonely, poor, and even dangerous life, think of their responsibilities of caring for the sheep, protecting the sheep from wild animals, protecting them from bands of robbers that would come through, even though their life consisted of that, yet that was not the greatest difficulty. Because these shepherds were considered as social outcasts. These shepherds were considered as ceremonially unclean. Think about that. You see, their, their job required hands-on help in birthing when little lambs were birthed, hands-on help. And that involved contact with blood sometimes. That was a problem. Their job also required the disposal of, of dead lambs or dead sheep. And so that was contact with dead bodies. That was a problem. And, and also the fact that they were required to be out in the hills caring for their sheep made it very difficult for them to come to the temple to become clean. <laughs> and so it was almost like it was a religious catch-22. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> there they were. God came for those people. In fact, God chose to deliver this awesome announcement of arrival to those men, to those needy outcasts of society. By the way, God has a special place in his heart for lowly people, for simple people. God has a special place in his heart for them. In fact, I believe he shares some of the most awesome announcements and greatest secrets with those who are lowly. In fact, he is calling for people who are, have a simple, childlike faith. That's the ones he honors. That's the ones he empowers and speaks through and speaks to. A simple, childlike faith. Why? Why does he choose to do this? Because they believe him. They believe him. In a little devotional book here, I'd like to read something along this line. John Gill, uh, the commentator, wrote this. To the shepherds, the first notice of Christ's birth was given. Not to the princes and chief priests and learned men of Jerusalem, but to the weak common and illiterate men whom God is pleased to choose and call and reveal his secrets to as he 
and reveal his secrets to as he hides them from the wise and prudent to their confusion and to the glory of his grace. This was a precursor of what the kingdom of Christ would be and by and to whom the gospel would be preached. The announcement was delivered to those. Now, although the shepherds believed this great announcement, they were scared to death. And why is this? (laughs) Why were they so scared? Well, first of all, there was the appearance of an angel. The appearance of an angel. That is frightening, I'm sure. That is worth being troubled over. But along with that, it says, the angel of the Lord came up, uh, it's, what does it say here? The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. I would like for us to ponder a moment what this means. What is referred to here as the glory of the Lord? It says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. I mean, this was, this was no just common spotlight. This wasn't just a fireworks display. What is it referring to here? Once again, in this little devotional, notice what the writer says. The glory of the Lord was referred to as the Shekinah, the brightness of the perfection of the all-sufficient God. It has been described theologically as the sum total of the attributes of God combined together to create brilliant, perfect light. Now, the shepherds were seeing this glory of the Lord on the hillside around Bethlehem. The glory of the Lord. Hey, turn back to Exodus 24 and notice here what we read about the glory of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. And here in Exodus 24, we're reading about God confirming the covenant with uh, with Moses and the children of Israel. In verse 12, and the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And then verse 15, And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. Okay, just... Try to picture that in your mind a little bit. It says the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire. Now, we also read in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, it says that the glory of the Lord came upon that, came upon that ceremony, came upon that temple, and a cloud covered the whole temple. And in fact, it says that the priests who had been preparing to give their special speeches and their sermons and their prayers, they had been preparing to do all these things for this special occasion. They were not able to do that. Why? 
It says, because the glory of the Lord. What does it say exactly? It says, the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. An amazing scene, an awesome scene, that in a sense immobilized man. They could not go on because of the glory of the Lord was so great. I find it interesting then, in the book of Ezekiel, we read a tragic series of events where the glory of the Lord departed, first of all, from the temple, and then from Jerusalem, and then from the people. The glory of the Lord departed because of the immorality of, of the children of Israel, because of their complacency of spirit, it departed. And the glory of the Lord has left, as it were, for the next 400 to 600 years, the glory of the Lord has departed. And here in Luke chapter 2 is when the glory of the Lord comes back. I find that so powerful. The announcement of the arrival of the Messiah. The angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The glory of the Lord had returned through the announcement of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Let's look at this announcement that was given by the angels. First of all, I, I note that it was a soothing announcement. The announcement was, fear not. The very first words out of the angel's mouth, fear not. He was speaking this to the troubled shepherds. It says they were sore afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, who was this angel of the Lord? Angel of the Lord. Was it Gabriel? Well, very possibly. We know that Gabriel was the angel of the Christmas story. In fact, Gabriel came to Joseph. It's referred to as the angel of the Lord. We believe it was Gabriel there. Also, uh, the angel of the Lord coming to Zacharias. In fact, we know that was Gabriel because he said later, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And then Gabriel uh, came to Mary. And once again, here to the shepherds, it's referred to as the angel of the Lord. More than likely, Gabriel. But various times in Scripture, we find God coming to troubled people with this greeting, fear not. Over and over, fear not. In fact, Joseph, Zacharias, Mary, the shepherds, that was the greeting every time. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And then, as we look at Scripture, God often follows that up with a reminder of His presence and His power. For example, when God talked to Isaac in Genesis 26, He says, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not. For I am with thee. 
Fear not, for I am with thee. That's the promise of his presence. And then he says, I will bless thee and multiply thy seed. The, the promise of his power. To Isaiah, Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear not, Isaiah, for I am with thee. Fear not. The promise of God's presence. And then he says, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The promise of God's power. Presence and power accompanying <clears throat> the promise or the, the command to don't be afraid. Fear not. And so I find it fascinating that here in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, the angel of the Lord now begins his announcement of the birth of Emmanuel, which is God with us. I am with you. He begins that with the words, fear not. <laughs> fear not. But Emmanuel has come. God with us. What a soothing message. You know, one that brought courage and gladness of heart. Uh, certainly there was no need to fear. But God himself was now truly with man in a, in a very physical and personal kind of way. You know, I'm reminded of the fact that the presence of God and a controlling fear do not coexist the presence of God and a controlling fear do not coexist. In fact, Jesus removes fear. When the Spirit of God is alive and well in our hearts, then I believe we are blessed with the supernatural boldness and courage to face the uncertainties, to face the hardships, to face the trials that life brings. And yes, in our humanness, we still have moments of anxiety. We still have moments of, of fearfulness, as it were. But because of our faith in Jesus Christ, it does not immobilize us as it does others. But we can journey onward because of the presence and the power of God living within us. Fear not, for I am with thee. Fear not, Emmanuel has arrived. The scripture says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In fact, perfect love casts out fear. Dear people, we need, we need these reminders more than ever. <laughs> this has been a year of fear for many people. And I think we would have to confess, I would have to confess that there has been times in the past year when I have been fearful a bit of what's to take place. What does the future hold? What will happen? And yet, just as the angels brought that soothing announcement of fear not to the, to the shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem many years ago, even today, those two words give us uh, assurance, give us strength, give us courage as we face the unsettling days ahead. Fear not. 
And so this announcement from the angels was a soothing announcement. What else do we see about this announcement here? It was a saving announcement. Verses 10 and 11, a saving announcement. What was the angel bringing? We read, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings, or the angel said, I'm bringing good news. This should bring joy to your heart. The news that I am bringing is not troubling news. (laughs) The news that I am bringing should not scare you. But it should bring joy to your heart. In fact, it will bring joy to your heart. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Who was this announcement for? I see that this announcement had a universal message. We read, it shall be to all people. This announcement was for the whole world. Whosoever will. In fact, John 3.16, let's say that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This announcement from the angels had a universal message. It was for whosoever, whosoever. But along with that, it had a very personal message because the angel went on to say, for unto you is born this day. For unto you. The message was for them. The message was for the shepherds. But see, when I read this and when you read it, it's for me. It's for you. It's God's word to each of us. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. In other words, the Apostle Paul was saying, It's not just the people out there. It's not just the people in jail. It's not just those rebellious ones somewhere else. But he came for me. He came for me. I need Jesus as bad as anyone does. This announcement from the angels had a very personal appeal. Well, what was this good news? I say it was a saving announcement. (laughs) What was it? The news was that a Savior has been born, which is Christ the Lord. And notice that the, 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 the angel wasn't giving some news that had happened some time ago. You know, see, there for the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, out in the hills, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't get a text message as soon as it happened. They didn't see it on Facebook or anything. Sometimes the news they got was old news. It was stale by the time it got to them. Not this time. Not this time. It was breaking news that night. On the hills outside of Bethlehem. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This is current. It's happening right now. I would like for us to note the significance of this threefold title that the angel gave to Jesus. The angel referred to Jesus as a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Was he just using some words? Was he just giving a a name? 
He had to say something. He had to call him something. Did he just use those? Was that coincidence? I don't believe it was. But I believe that threefold title that he was giving clearly defined who was arriving. Okay? And let's just note that a bit. But he refers to this arrival as a savior. Or we could say he was a deliverer. Jesus was the one that came to bring freedom from bondage. Freedom from oppression. He was the savior. He was come to deliver people. This title here points to the cross. And pictures Jesus as that perfect sacrifice. The one who came to deliver people from their sins. The atonement. The once and for all. In fact, even his name Jesus spells out a clear salvation message. Jesus, in Hebrew that means God saves. Savior, deliverer. God saves. Through the gift of his son. In fact, in Matthew 1.21, when the angel of the Lord came to Joseph... We read, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Once again, the, <laughs> the name, captured in the name, is the mission, is why he came. Now, notice the, the name Christ. Christ. Or that refers to the anointed one, the son of God, the Messiah. That's the Messiah, Christ, the one that the, the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for the coming of, a, of the Messiah. And this title here pictures Jesus as the fulfillment of all the promises and prophecies going way back to the Garden of Eden. And you remember there in Genesis 3, verse 15, when God is speaking to the serpent. God is speaking to the serpent, which we say is Satan. And what does God say to him? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Noting the conflict that would be. But, but looking forward to a Savior, to the promised Messiah. And God said, oh yes, oh yes, this one, this promised one, will go through suffering. There will be some injury, as it were. But you will be crushed. This promised one, this Messiah, will deal a fatal blow to your head. Speaking of the promised one, the Messiah. Just note here, this old man Simeon that we read about later in Luke chapter 2. It says in verse 26 that he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the promised one. In fact, what does it say? It was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Messiah. And so he was waiting for this promised one. And then note his response. Note the response of Simeon, starting at verse 29. Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. 
a light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He said, I've seen him now. I can now die in peace because I've seen the Messiah. And he had certainly seen him in a very physical and personal kind of way. Can you imagine seeing Jesus in that kind of a way? He took him up in his arms. This man who was waiting for the Messiah was now holding the Messiah. What a precious moment that must have been. It's hard for us to even fathom that. And then we have the title of Lord. The angel of the Lord came and said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And here the title Lord uh, is, is supreme in authority. He is the controller. He is the sovereign God. And this title here pictures Jesus as the one who is over all the earth. He is the one to be served. He is the one to be worshipped. He is the one to be adored. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This one. In reference to that, someone has wrote this. Jesus is called Savior. Not an example or a teacher, but a Savior. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need had been military, God would have sent a soldier. If our greatest need had been for justice, God would have sent a judge. But our greatest need was forgiveness and redemption. Therefore, God sent a Savior. Praise the Lord. God sent a Savior. That was our need. That is our need today. And so this was a soothing announcement from the angels. It was also a saving announcement. But I noticed in verses 11 and 12 that it was also a showing announcement. This was a showing announcement. The angels, or the angel told the shepherds three things. What town, what clothes, what bed. <laughs> what town, what clothes, and what bed. The angel of the Lord said that you'll find this Savior, Christ the Lord, in the city of David. Well, the city of David, they knew that. Oh, that was Bethlehem. He's close by, not far away. It's interesting. Bethlehem was also referred to as the house of bread. The house of bread. What a fitting place for the bread of life to be born. There in Bethlehem, known as, at least to those people, as the house of bread. But the angel told the shepherds, what town? The city of David. This is Bethlehem. He also told them what clothes. He said, you'll find this baby in swaddling clothes. Now, that wasn't that unique. From what I understand, that was sort of typical back in the day. Long uh, pieces of cloth that they wrapped the new newborns in to protect them and, and keep them cozy and warm and so forth. 
So that wasn't perhaps that unusual. But the next place was. He said, what bed? He said, you'll find him lying in a manger. What? <laughs> a manger? So if you were going on a scavenger hunt, now you knew the, the town and you knew what clothes, but that wasn't enough. Now they said, you'll find him lying in a manger. Okay, that's a big clue. We're going to go look. A manger obviously was associated with a stable. A manger was where animals ate out of, okay? You didn't normally put your baby in a manger. <laughs> so so this, this baby, we're going to find this baby in an unlikely place. If, if there's a manger there, there's probably going to be some cows and, and livestock there. And they're starting to think, where would this be? I don't know how many places they checked. Obviously, there was more than one manger in Bethlehem. There was more than one stable. I don't know how many places they ran, but, but I can imagine it was a very excited search. I mean, they were, it, it said they made haste. And they were probably all talking and excited and, and you know, where should we go? Maybe they went, and, no, he's not there. And, and, do you see any baby in there? No, no baby in that one. And I don't know. It was, it was probably some excited chaos there for a while. The Bible doesn't say exactly how that happened. But you see, this announcement it did point the way to Jesus. It was a message that was clear enough to find Jesus, but yet it required effort and it required desire on the parts of the shepherds. They had to seek in order to find. This baby wasn't just dropped in their lap. Oh yes, there was some direction, but it required effort as well to find As I think about that, I, I consider how that the word of God today points us to Jesus in a similar way it did the shepherds. The word from God directed the shepherds to find Jesus. Well, in a similar way, the word of God points us to find Jesus as well. It's through the word of God that we come to grips with, with who we are. We realize that we are a sinner in need of a savior. The word shows us our need. But it doesn't just leave us there. It doesn't leave us wondering. Well now what in the world should I do? How will I find him? No. But it points the way to Jesus. It shows us. How to find the savior. It shows us how to find salvation. It's something that even a youngster. The word of God is simple. In many ways. You don't have to be highly educated. To read and understand. The simple gospel of Jesus Christ. That I am a sinner. In need of a savior. In what I must do. In order to be saved. And so. Yes the word of God gives us clear direction. But just like the shepherds. We also have to exert effort. We must determine to seek it out. It is through seeking that we find. And so this was a showing announcement that came to the shepherds that night. Lastly, I note that it was a shouting announcement. <laughs> it was a shouting announcement. In verses 13 and 14 we read, And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You see, at this point in the story, the angel, who we would say probably is the angel Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, is joined by a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And what a sight that must have been. I mean, can you imagine, can you picture in your mind's eye a bit how that must have been? And if they were, <laughs> if they were already sore afraid, wow, this really must have set them back. I mean, I can imagine them way back like this, you know, in utter amazement as, as they were getting something that they never anticipated. But, you know, we sing the song Silent Night. I can assure you it wasn't silent at this point. It certainly wasn't silent. But there was a great company of angels that were shouting out a message of praise to God. They were giving glory to their creator. In fact, we sing, we sang it this morning. Ye who sang creation's story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Think about that. Think about these angels who, who were worshiping and praising God from the beginning of time. And now they are a part of this celebration at the coming of the Messiah. You see, delivering announcements uh, wasn't the only job that the angels had. In fact, it probably wasn't even their number one job. But the Bible says that in heaven, the angels are constantly praising and worshiping God. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, we read where Isaiah got a glimpse into the throne room of God. And there were the angels saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That was like a sneak peek into the throne room of God for Isaiah. The angels weren't bringing a message at that point. They were simply worshiping and adoring, praising the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And then in Revelation... In fact, turn to that for just a moment. In Revelation chapter 5, we also have a, a glimpse into what the scene of worship is like in heaven. And in Revelation chapter 5, John is writing here in verse 11. He says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. I say that delivering messages isn't the only job that the angels have. In fact, it's not even the number one job, perhaps, that the angels have. But perhaps the greatest job of the angels, or you could say the privilege of the angels, 
is to worship and praise God. In fact, in Roman, I mean, uh, Revelations chapter 4, we read that they worship him night and day, constantly worshiping him. And so it was a, a shouting announcement. You know, in our story this morning here in Luke chapter 2, what Isaiah and John witnessed in heaven, the shepherds saw firsthand in the sky above the hills there outside of Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? The shepherds saw it firsthand. They saw the glory of the Lord. They saw the angel and they heard his awesome announcement. They literally experienced the unimaginable glory of the Lord that we talked about a little bit ago. They saw and heard a massive choir of angels praising God in word and perhaps in song. Not sure. And the message was what? Praise to God and peace to man. That was the message. You know, at that time in history, Rome had given the world a peace from war. And that was a temporary peace. And we know that from history. But Jesus Christ came to give man peace with God and peace within. That's a lasting peace. And we know that from experience, right? We know that from experience. Someone has put it this way. The reconciliation between God and mankind, the solution for the human condition of sin, is summed up in the simple word, peace. Peace. In fact, Jesus, years later, said, Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. But the peace that I give, Jesus said, is a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that keeps your hearts in mind. Apostle Paul wrote that. It's a peace that defies human logic. It's a peace that's not dependent on the happenings around us. It's not defined by the circumstances on the outside, but it's defined by the relationship we have on the inside. It's that kind of a peace. And on that chilly night, the angels shared a message of peace to those troubled, unclean shepherds. Now, most likely the word that they heard was the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom to all mankind. And with that word shalom carries with it the ideas of contentment, completeness, soundness, peace. That's what it is. Peace. Wholeness. How that must have poured new life and new purpose into the lives of those needy men. And I can imagine that they were never the same. It changed their lives. In fact, we know how they responded. We're not looking at that this morning, but we know then later on in Luke how they responded to what they heard, to what they experienced. They had to tell everybody about it. 
It changed their lives. You know, the angels brought a message that was worth shouting about. And dear people, when we consider how that message impacts you and me today, I would definitely say that some holy shouting would be quite appropriate. <laughs> like, thank you, Jesus, or praise the Lord, or you think of your own, something that comes from your heart. But it should, it should create some holy shouting from within us. Well, that's just a small part of the Christmas story. And yes, it's an old story. It's one that we've heard many times. And sometimes we can get a bit calloused by the familiarity of it. But I trust that as we've looked at the word again this morning, that the Spirit uh, has brought some freshness to your mind and your perspective, given you a renewed appreciation for the gift that came through Jesus Christ. And so as we go from here, may we be like the angels, living a life of constant praise and worship to Jesus Christ, but also telling the good news, telling the good news of the gospel. It's a saving message. Good news is meant to be told. Don't keep it to yourself. May God help us to be faithful in that. We'll call for a song.